Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cloud Spotting. I'm Sai, and I have Alex with me. Hey, Alex. Hey, Sai, how you doing? I'm pretty good. It's almost Halloween, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it is almost Halloween, and I feel like I'm dressed up for it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not lose those logo T-shirts yet. No. <laughs> what have you been up to? Oh, uh, well, actually, um, we're, we're recording this at a bit of a funny time because although we're recording it and we come out at Halloween, uh, we've actually done it a bit earlier. So we're all just back off our summer holiday. So yeah. I had, uh, the very first long haul holiday we've had with our family since we've had kids. Um, so we went to Brazil oh, wow. uh, to Rio. So that was that was an amazing experience. Um, and then since we came back, it's been quite busy at work. Uh, had a really interesting, uh, what we call it, like a takeover day. So we work with uh, a number of cloud partners and we'll bring them into the business for an entire day and just do loads of events around it. So we did that with Google just the other day, which was which was a really interesting experience. So Fantastic. yeah, it's been, it's been busy. What about you? Yeah, similar things. Um, I had a long holiday, but on the other side of the world, we went to um, Malaysia, to the Bornean Rainforest. Wow. So it was really good. It was really good. That's amazing. Yeah, I missed the takeover day though. Yeah, <laughs> but who, who gave you time off for that? Though? Come on. Yeah, I had to. I had to work for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we were thinking is we've been pretty tech heavy over the past few episodes. So today we thought we'd take things in a, in a slightly different direction. Um, we talk a lot in IT about people, processes, and technology being the the three cornerstones mm-hmm. of the industry. And so we thought today, you know, we we focus a lot on the tech. So today we're going to focus on the first two. Um, now, the way we were thinking about this is you can't be successful in managing people and processes without managing change. And as such, our special guest today, very special guest today, is someone who's well-versed in this dark art, Matt Stoika, Chief Relationship Officer here at Rackspace. So, Matt, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and where people can follow you on the on the socials? Yes. Uh, thanks for having me, Alex and Sai. It's uh, good to be on. Um, I am based here in sunny San Diego, California. So, uh, you know, no complaints about the weather. It's not too hot, not too cold. So life's pretty good over here. Uh, But unlike you, uh, I have summer holidays all year round. So that's uh, also a nice little treat of living in San Diego. That's it. Rub it in. Um, Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, um, let's see, I've been in technology services for the past 20 uh, years now. And I, uh, I grew up uh, in Canada, actually. And then um, I went to engineering in the U.S. in Michigan and got a degree in manufacturing systems engineering with a specialty of, uh, in robotics and process automation. And that's where kind of I've, I you know, fell in love with the, the process-centric approach to how you know, mm. companies can operate and, and do business. And um, ended up uh, leaving the automotive industry, coming out to California, going to grad school, and then uh, basically um, joining a, a brand new startup um, and then ultimately kind of, um, you know, buying into the company uh, and running the company and then selling the company. And this was back in 2008. And it was an IT service company specializing in network management, network services. And then um, I, the company that I, uh, that I that acquired us, I stayed with for four years and I ran all of our technical operations and engineering as well as our sales organization. And after about four years, I decided to start um, another company. And so I started Relation Edge in 2013, which became a Salesforce Platinum partner. And we specialized in business process um, optimization and re-engineering and then using the Salesforce technology uh, stack. So we had a process first, technology second approach to how we we engaged with our clients. And then uh, fortunate enough um, that Rackspace reached out and, and acquired us last year. And so I've been with Rackspace for the last, you know, 15, 16 months. And uh, I'm now in a new role as the chief relationship officer where 
I, I get the distinct pleasure of working with all of our global partners and alliances. And so this means, you know, everything from the Googles and Microsofts and Amazons to the SAPs, Oracles and Salesforces, um, all the way down to, you know, our, our channel partners. And so I have a team that's around the globe that is designed to engage with our partners so that we can drive maximum value uh, for our uh, customers and for our partners and then also for Rackspace. So uh, happy to be here and happy to talk about change management. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, yeah, anything to do with change. This is not your first rodeo for sure. <laughs> um, so we we often we often yeah. hear this phrase, um, change is constant, and I think you've demonstrated that through some of the conversation there. Um, I mean, what do you think that that means in in the real world? Well, it it, it means problems for a lot of <laughs> a lot of companies and a lot of people mm -hmm. um, because not everybody is uh, resilient with change or to change, right? Um, a lot of resistance at, at times. I think that is changing, ironically enough. I think uh, <laughs> people are realizing that at this space, uh, in a speed at which you know the the companies are moving and uh, the economy is moving, is that you have to constantly change. But there's still, again, a bit of an art and, and a science to how you employ that and how you get people to understand the importance of it and really to get them to buy in. And so, you know, for for us, it's always been about really understanding the, the process at which a business operates today, what their aspirational goals are, and then how do we translate those goals and that process into like a world-class system or world-class process, and then how do we leverage the technology? And the neat thing about doing that is it involves the human you know, capital and, and the, the minds of the, the participants up front. And so you get early buy-in when you do that. And that's the first of many things that need to happen for change to be successful. So you could almost say that the key part here is with these, these three different pillars, the, the, the technology and the processes and the people, they're all kind of codependent on each other. You can't modify one without impacting the other. And you need to kind of tee that up in advance so that they all move together as one. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you'll hear the phrase, it's a three legged stool, right? Like you can't, you can't sit without all three legs working and functioning. Um, they're, they're intertwined. And I think what happens is we've seen so many companies uh, lead with technology as being the answer, like, oh, this application is going to, to solve this problem for us, right? Or this application is going to drive our business. And what they fail to understand is the human interaction of it, the human buy-in of it, and then the process in which they want to operate and the metrics at which they want to drive it. So it's kind of, you know, I think of the best analogy that we've come up with is, you, you know, you wouldn't build a house without having an architect come in and, and build plans and create plans, right, before you actually build the house. And it's the same thing. And so we see this as that assessment and architecture of the business process. And then in doing so, gaining the, the, the buy-in of the people. And that seems to be the you know, the, the missing step that a lot of companies honestly fail at. And that's where, you know, we can certainly help. I think your point there as well is, uh, is definitely resonates with what we have conversations with, with customers yep. all the time. It's often we'll be presented with a technology problem and mm -hmm. it's not a technology problem. It's a, you know, solve this with technology. Well, no, actually let's, let's step back and ask, why are you doing this? What is the objective you're trying to achieve? What is the outcome you're looking for? Then we can work out how the technology underpins that. That's right. Is it, I mean, we always face this question, is it a process change? Is it a technology change? So in your experience, Matt, when you encounter the phrase change or when you encounter the phrase transformation, where does that come from and, and how, sort of, how do you look at it? So it's interesting. I, I think change is embedded in transformation. 
Um, you know, that's kind of my opinion. I think that, you know, the, transformation is about a series of changes, all kind of accumulated that drive, um, uh, you know, drive that kind of new behavior. And so a transformation is saying, look, I want to go from where I'm at today to where we want to be, right? And there's a journey to make that happen. It just doesn't happen. You don't just make one change and then all of a sudden it's a series of changes, right? And that could mean a change in, you know, the people that are, um, you know, participating. It could be obviously a change in the process. And then it certainly could be the change in the technology. And so I think when people embark on this transformation journey, I think they think it's a project, meaning it has a discrete start and a discrete mm, ending. Yeah. The reality is it's a process. It's a continuous improvement process. And the companies that are right now that are succeeding in this kind of rapidly changing world are the ones that are adopting that mentality and seeing transformation as a living, breathing organism that needs care and feeding every minute of every day. Yeah, and we, we see that a lot with uh, software development. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole continuous deployment cycle yep. kind of sounds exactly like what you're saying, Matt. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the concept, yeah, changes, uh, transformation is a process. It, it's constantly going through. I'm sure there's resistance there somewhere. I mean, we're talking about changing people, changing processes. I'm sure people who are set in their ways are not going to be happy about it. How do, you, how do you sort of deal with resistance to change? Well, I, look, I it, it's... I think we have an approach that's worked and worked well, but it involves really um, getting in deep with the people that are doing the work, right? So a lot of the times when we're engaging from a consulting perspective now and, and getting in up front and having those conversations, mm -hmm. we're really embedding ourselves in how people work, right? So let's say we're trying to improve, um, you know, a, a lead to loyalty process in total. Right. We are going to get in with the marketing department and we're going to sit there and understand how do they work, right? And where are their real true pain points? We're gonna we're gonna pull that out of them because what you find is that when you talk to these customers, they know really what the problems are. They just aren't necessarily sure how to fix them. And so if you start really investing the time to understand how they work today, what are those problems, and you pull that and extract that out of them, you can start quickly gaining traction. And so, you know, one of the techniques, of course, is, is it's a bit of a venting session, right? What's not working? What would you like to see different? What's frustrating? What's time consuming? What's inefficient? What's problematic? What gives you a, he a headache at night, right? That's the kind of mentality. Like, so we've engaged with, you know, I'll give an example. We've engaged with um, long haul trucking logistics companies. Right. Mm -hmm. Where our engineers and consultants and business process experts actually like got on the trucks and went from place to place to place wow. so they could wow. understand how the drivers were working so that they could develop technology that supported them. Right. And, you know, that's just one of the one example. We did another example with um, uh, uh, an energy efficiency company that goes out and, and assesses the energy efficiency of commercial and, and residential buildings. Well, the people that are going out and doing that work and taking the readings, they're not very tech savvy. In most cases, they're retired general contractors. So when mm -hmm. we looked at the technology to support them, we realized this has to be incredibly simple. And so instead of a complex system, they literally had kind of a red and blue button on their mobile app that they could press that says, in, you know, this reading is in control or out of control. And it was very easy for them to use. And as a result, adoption was no problem. So I think you really have to get into the, the mindset and the psyche. And then you have to get feedback and buy-in from the people that are actually going to do the work and the people that are struggling with, you know, what they're dealing with today. So it's, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I'm aware there's a supermarket in the, in the UK 
where anybody who joins their IT leadership team, um, or, and I possibly even at the lower levels as well, um, they actually have to spend a week or two weeks stacking shelves when they first join <laughs> the organization so that they can actually understand the organization from the inside before they then start going and making decisions around, okay, we need to change these processes, we need to change these technologies, et cetera, because the ultimate impact of that is it's easy to make decisions in a bubble, but actually for them to be successful, they need to be, they need to be right to the people on the ground. And one of our one of our leaders here, actually, funnily enough, he has a kind of a mantra around evolution versus revolution. And I think that's another key point there is it's making these changes in these incremental steps is is way easier and will get a lot more buy in than suddenly coming in, tearing up the rule book and throwing it away. Not that you not that there aren't opportunities where sometimes you do have to do that, but often you'll get a lot more traction with piece by piece, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant idea for companies to do. Look, at the end of the day, here's the interesting thing. You know, Raxus is known as being technology experts. We have to we have to be business experts. And so we've invested heavily into our, you know, business process consulting, business process transformation. You know, it started with the acquisition of my firm and then it's grown since. But it's really interesting. The best engagements we have uh, start with no conversation around technology. Mm -hmm. it, all, it all revolves around the business and the business need and the metrics and the process. And I'll, I'll, I'll give one more illustration of this. Just coincidentally, um, this week I was with one of the largest quick serve restaurants um, on the planet and they have a very big um, campaign and promotion coming up. And the interesting thing is um, the technology stack can't support the business needs and they didn't realize this. And so they actually lost business because the technology mm -hmm. stack didn't understand what the business requirements were. And they didn't understand that marketing was going to generate a tremendous amount of traffic and volume and it crushed their app, it crushed social. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as a result, they lost revenue, right? So this is a good example. Now, what are they doing about it? Now they sat down with, with marketing, understand the forecast and understand exactly what they're expecting from a lead development, lead generation. They understand the, the usage and the traffic. And now they're building an application that not only can support that, but can support it well into the future at a sustainable level. Mm -hmm. So that's just a simple example of what I'm talking about. And real, real life impact of, of not getting the people, the processes and the technology all, all aligned at the same time based on the outcome you're actually looking for and expecting. Yep. Correct. Thanks, Matt. That that point that you mentioned about the discussion between technology and marketing, an example, it, it rings loads of bells over here because we, we have the discussion from a tech perspective. We speak to the IT department and we gather the information. But the goal here, absolutely, as you say, is to roll up into and find out more about the marketing campaigns, elevate the, the solution and design to a certain spectrum. So to your point, I mean, we, we you see change from a business process perspective how do you see technology and the cloud impacting or, or does it at all impact from a business process perspective well yeah, absolutely and it you know it's already disrupted things and and how it's done it is it's it's made the ability to change easier faster and in many ways cheaper right and so you can now you know you can now spin up an instance in minutes and start developing on it, right? Then there's then there's tools to accelerate the development of it, right? So if you think about just the speed at which you can now create, um, it allows you know developers who have great ideas to immediately mock something up, immediately show something, uh, and and iterate based on that. So I think you know again, speed is is critical today, and the ability to react and respond. 
the the challenge with it is then the governance of that, right? Because and that with the ease of being able to to create uh, you know spin up you know cloud instances, there's a governance issue, right? Oh, and then that sure. results in a financial in- issue, uh, which results into a business issue. And so when we think about change, this is a positive change that you can operate with that speed, but without the right planning of hey, how is this going to impact our business if we do this and if we have this capability? Now you've got to you've got to you know kind of go back to the drawing board and say okay look we want to have, we want to put some process around it we want to put some governance around it because and, but we don't want to inhibit it we just want to make sure that we don't wake up one day and and have a usage you know bill that you know <laughs> that bank, bankrupts the company right yep. that's that's the thinking that needs to happen yeah and it's it's it sounds very similar to everything that we were talking about with software development mm-hmm. I mean we have this approach called shift left which is the the quicker you can catch things like escalating page hits or escalating utilization and performance, mm-hmm. the lower the cost of fixing it. So is this an opportunity to plug an earlier episode? Ah, I saw where you were going there. Always is. <laughs> so we do actually do an episode, oh, it would be about six, 12 months ago yeah. uh, when we were talking about DevOps and change with our guest Iskander. Um, definitely worthwhile checking that out. We'll put a little link to that in the show notes as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so off the back of that, Matt, um, Working in the previous organization and now coming into Rackspace, what have you seen from the from the rate of change um, and transformation within different sizes of organization? Do you see significant differences around that and along alongside things like governance, et cetera? So I'm, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh, size doesn't matter. <laughs> um, it just it, it's here's the interesting thing. It's a, it's about will and it's about mm-hmm. desire. If a company wants to change and it wants to accelerate that change, then I think the belief and the belief is there and the leadership is there and the buy-in from the employees is there and the right process, the right technology, big companies can change very fast. And we're seeing that, right? Mm -hmm. We've we've seen that. It's traditionally been that larger companies have more restrictive policies that prevent that kind of change. I think we're seeing a shift that the big companies are starting to show that they have to change you know, uh, um, all the time. And so I think there's that trend is shifting. That's my opinion. And it, it, everyone always says, oh, well, a small company, they can shift on a dime. They can do this. They can do that. Yes and no, right? Because small companies have limits too, right? They may not have all of the roles, uh, people in roles that can mm-hmm. actually impact the change. Mm-hmm. They may not have the financial wherewithal to actually make the change. They may not have the technical expertise to assess solutions that may help the change. They may not have the governance or the or the you know business process expertise either. So mm-hmm. I would say that it's really about the will and the desire to change and the recognition of it. And I think once you have the recognition, then of course you need to have the leadership, but you can't just have the leadership, right? It has to be the leadership. It has to be um, the employees and key stakeholders within the business. And then I think you know typically it involves um, third parties to complement where there may be gaps in the business to help accelerate the change. But the change must be owned by the leadership and the employees. It can't be owned by you know consultants that are coming in because that doesn't work. It has to be owned by the leadership and the uh, the employees. That's critical. It's perfect. I think that that makes complete sense. And just just on that point, just to go drive a bit more deeper, you mentioned that the change has to be owned by the leadership, and I totally agree. I, I totally understand that. But who drives it from a day to day process? I mean, leadership. If you think about it from a small company, yes, it makes sense because the leaders are fairly close to the people on the ground and 
working straight with them. But for a larger organization, there may be several levels of degrees in between. So who, who drives the change? Well, I, look, I think in, in most companies, it's going to be your middle management, right? It's going to be that middle management that really are the ones that are, you know, between strategy and tactics and really needing to connect those dots. And I think that if you can get a, you know, a really strong committee, excuse me, committee that is um, working kind of in a cross-functional manner and has total kind of autonomy and control over that with some type of executive sponsorship, I think you can move the ball forward faster. But I think you also need to incorporate some key stakeholders within uh, like the employee base. So these could be, you know, for example, it could be a technical expert. It could be a business, you know, expert. It could be a program manager, right? Those type of people have to be part of uh, the team. Now, in some organizations, and I'll use Rackspace as an example, we actually have a chief transformation officer, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, it's so important for us to move at such a fast rate because of the type of industry we're, you know, we're in and the services that we provide that we've designated that as a key, um, you know, key position in the business. And we, and that uh, chief transformation officer has a team that leads all of our transformation initiatives. So I think it's a varying degree, but I think if you go from small companies all the way up, it's a cross-functional team Mm -hmm. from multiple disciplines. There's a dedication to it, meaning a commitment to say we're spending this amount of time every single week, month, and quarter to to make sure that these change initiatives happen, and they're being held, you know, to a high level of accountability. Fantastic. Uh, that makes complete sense. And and just on that point, you mentioned about uh, transformation and the process of transformation. We 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 spoke earlier about transformation being. A, a, Catch-all term, yeah, I think. exactly. Yep. So, like multiple changes or other, yeah, absolutely, catch-all term for changes. Is business transformation specifically is that a new new face or new facade for change? And how has this business transformation process grown with the technology changes that's happening? It's a really good question, and I think it's one that you know you can sit around and, and kind of ponder because I think it's more philosophical than anything, right? I think you know, look, it's it's part buzzword, right? Business transformation, digital transformation. You know, I kind of look at it as digital transformation is is dead and gone. Businesses are leveraging technology to operate in a different manner, to connect with their customers in a different way, right? And so businesses need to always utilize technology to make sure that that happens and that happens in an effective and scalable and efficient manner right and so i think that the construct of you know transformation is again i i don't think it needs to be called out i think it needs to be an underlying principle or guiding value of any successful business and i think as i stated in the beginning that transformation is really a sum of a series of changes that are measured over time that deliver specific results to the business. And so I, I think I take a little bit more pragmatic view that says, look, in, in the 80s and 90s, we talked about continuous improvement and lean and six sigma, right? What was that about? That was about specifically in the manufacturing process, that was about improving the output, reducing uh, waste and errors and risk, right? Well, now what are we talking about? We're talking about the exact same thing. It just may be, um, it, it just may be in regards to uh, different parts of the business, right? It could be, it could be again, marketing, it could be accounting, it could be mm-hmm. uh, accounts receivable, it could be service delivery. And so I just think that we, we, we rush to put a label on something to try to understand it versus just saying, look, 
this is just a way of how we operate, period. And, and story, right? We operate with change as a constant. We operate with continuous improvement as our North Star. And we operate at a speed that can leverage technology that enhances our employees' ability to deliver great you know, service or product to our customers. Perfect. It's about, it's about what we give our customers at the end of the day. That's the important at, thing. At, at every level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so we usually like to, if if there's an interesting news story that's uh, been around of late, something reasonably topical, uh, we like to cover this off. And as, as it happens, with your background, both from the perspective of Salesforce side of things, as well as uh, being involved in more than one bit of M and A activity, so we see recently Salesforce have been on a bit of a, a bit of a spending spree. They've opened up the wallet and <laughs> they've been splashing the cash. So we've had a couple of buyouts of of Tableau and Click. So how do you think that that kind of activity uh, or, you know, how do you see the M&A activity creating change in the industry? And what, what do you think that's going now? Well, you know, I, I would love to tell you I can predict what's going to happen because then I could invest uh, more wisely. But Stock uh, tips all welcome. What I oh, yes, saying, please share. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to give some forward looking statement here. But um, no, on a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question because it, it's. You know, Salesforce is certainly a good example of it, um, but it, it, all the technology companies, right? It, I mean, you know, think about what was it a year ago? IBM bought Red Hat for mm-hmm. you know thirty something billion dollars, right? It, it, there's, I think that companies get to a point where they realize that they cannot change fast enough organically, and they need to infuse change through inorganic. Um, activities, right, and mergers or acquisitions mm-hmm. being the case. I think that you know th- that we've come to a, a kind of a point in our society that the acquisition of companies that are building, you know, pieces of solutions is a very acceptable strategy. And so I think when you look at what Salesforce is doing, um, and you know, being kind of in the ecosystem the last seven years, um, they're looking to to deliver a customer success customer-centric platform. And so if you look at specifically their acquisition of Tableau, it's really centered around uh, providing their customers great intelligence and information about their customers' habits, whether it's, you know, how they're serviced, how they're buying, um, how they're being kind of retained or attracted. Um, And so I think that when you look at it, 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 this is going to continue to like i think every month we're going to kind of raise an eyebrow and say wow can't believe that happened (laughs) i think we need to start thinking about it differently saying it's going to happen and where does it make sense and is it too far of a reach or is it you know fit well into like a you know a company like salesforce's strategy i think you know Salesforce proven because they've done acquisitions every year you know uh, for many many years that they have a very clear goal and they're looking for acquisitions that are going to complement that goal. And I think that, you know, you've seen the same with companies like SAP, you've seen the same, um, you know, with, like I I mentioned earlier about IBM. So you're seeing that it's not going to stop. It's probably going to get more complex. And then you have all these, you know, micro companies that are building great, you know, technologies that are very specific use cases that are going to be very easy to roll up, right? And very easy to ingest by a larger company to say, we want that specific technology, yep. uh, you know, uh, capability because it's going to help us, you know, engage with our customers better. It's going to help us, you know, drive retention and and ultimately, you know, drive the bottom line for us. 
For sure. I think that one of the things that fascinated me as well is about some of the reasons why some of these organizations will go out for the acquisition. There's definitely the technology angle, which gives them an immediate jump start in that area. But I'm aware of a few companies, maybe some of the ones have been around in the industry for a, a bit longer, where their culture has become a little bit more uh, kind of ingrained corporate, you know, a bit like, like some people would use the word dinosaur, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to use that word in this, in this no, context. No, no, no. However, <laughs> They do, uh, I'm aware of some of them going out and deliberately buying some uh, larger startups, but with a very different culture in order to kind of inject that change into the business in a yeah. cultural level, not just even on a technology just level. Disrupting, was, right? Disrupting exactly. And I mean, one, one example, I won't say the name of the organization, <laughs> but um, I was doing some analyst type work once and uh, we visited a company where they'd handed out uh, what the hell, and it was actually a different word, but let's say what the hell cards to all of the new employees who'd come in from the startup because every single time they saw a process or something that just didn't make sense and seemed a very old school way of doing things, they were allowed to wave their what the hell cards and say, come on guys, we should be changing this. We need to disrupt this and improve the organization as a whole and not be kind of stuck in the past. Sweet. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting you bring that up because I, you know, certainly, um, what's the saying, uh, culture eats strategy for lunch, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that's very true. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough, like, you know, founding and, and growing, uh, you know, kind of a rapid growth company and then selling the company and then, you know, becoming part of a larger entity. Mm -hmm. Like, we're actually, to be quite honest, we've, we've give, been given every opportunity to help the company improve and grow and change and, and transform, right? And so I think that the recognition of it, it doesn't, you know, matter whether one company is much larger or one company is much smaller, if there's great ideas and great talent, and then you've built a system to encourage that and extract that and then, you know, amplify it, then you, I think you're already winning. And I mm -hmm. think that the companies that are doing that, that pay a lot of attention to that are the ones that are going to be more successful because look, I've seen a lot of great technology companies flame out and fail miserably, not because they didn't have the best technology stack, but, they ultimately had, you know, they, they didn't have a complete culture. Yep. Right? And, and what right. people 100%. forget is running a successful business is about running um, on all cylinders firing. And that means you have to have your marketing department, your sales department, your product, your accounting and finance, your, you know, service delivery or customer delivery. You have to have every one of them working. And the really successful companies are the ones that have identified how to make that happen. And then the interesting thing is if you use kind of the, the uh, six-cylinder engine analogy, right? If you have all of those six cylinders firing, the glue or the oil, if you will, that keeps those things firing is the culture, right? And the second that mm -hmm. oil is gone, next thing you know, your engine fails, your company's out of business, and off you go. And so I think <laughs> that the companies that are really embracing change and transformation in total or changes that equal transformation, I should say, are the ones that are, um, you know, really embracing the cultural aspect of it, but still not losing sight of the fact that, hey, we've got to perform in each of these critical business areas, and the, those cylinders have to be firing. 100%. So uh, I think we're just about out of time, but I think we've got enough time just to cover off one last final segment. It's a brand new segment. So we were looking at, uh, or we were having a bit of a discussion with you before the show, and we were just talking about generally about what kind of reading we like to do. And it came up with an interesting idea of what about doing a bit of a, a book recommendation of the month based on our guests. So Matt, you've been, you have the, the honor of being the inaugural guest to kick off this process. Um, so could you share with us your recommendation of a book that you would, uh, that you would share with our listeners? 
so I know we discussed this previously, just you know, in preparation for the show. I'm gonna actually mix this up uh, on you guys a little bit because <laughs> I uh, I was thinking about this the other day, and there's a book that I recently read that um, I don't know. I, I I kind of fell in love with it, um, and it's called Shoe Dogs, and it's the oh. it's by Phil Knight, that's the founder of Nike. Okay, and what's amazing about that book there, there's two things that i just found incredibly amazing um the first one is the story is told from when he started to when they went public in the 80s so you're not hearing about everything that happened since then and you know how nike grew, has grown exponentially mm-hmm. into this you know global behemoth but what you what the story focused on was the struggle and the the effort and the 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 sheer will that he put in to making Nike happen. And I think that if you ever want to be inspired, if you ever want to feel like I can do it, right? And, and I know that their slogan is just do it, is <laughs> read that book because it's, it's unbelievable. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable to see what he did and went through to make this happen and how many times he either failed or was so close to completely failing um, before he got there. And and it was just, it was a great story. It's a great analogy. And I think that, you know, for, for people that want to like be inspired, but want to succeed, there's a great uh, roadmap there for you. So Shoe Dogs, uh, you know, by Phil Knight, highly, highly recommend it. Brilliant. Great recommendation. Thanks very much. Um, and speaking of things that people have written, um, there's a couple of articles as well. We'll be linking the show notes for anybody who's interested in hearing a little bit more from Matt around change. Um, I'll give you an example. There's one here uh, on changecorner.com, which we'll be linking to called How to Use Storytelling in Change Management. I especially like this article, Matt. I really like the way it, it reads. I'm, I'm big in, uh, in helping people understand why a change is happening through the use of storytelling and analogies that can relate. I think that people, it it helps people get comfortable with the change. Um, And if you have a series of those that are going to add up to this, you know, some type of major transformation initiative, then I think it helps, uh, you know, people kind of digest it and, and embrace it and be less resistant to it. So um, that's the point behind it. Fantastic. No, thank you for that, Matt. And and absolutely, thank you for your time today. It, it was really great talking to you. And um, yeah, absolutely. I think I'm, I'm sure people are going to enjoy listening to this episode. Sai, thanks very much. And Alex, thanks very much for having me. Uh, I enjoyed it and uh, happy to contribute. Um, appreciate the time very much. Thanks very much, Matt. So uh, for all our listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks very much for listening. Um, if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, that'd be amazing. You can follow the show on Twitter at spotting clouds and until next time until yep. next time absolutely and and absolutely tweet us if you want to pass on any messages to matt or what we can do is we can also put the the links matt just shared with us any 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 locations that you want our listeners to contact you on uh i'm i'm frequently on linkedin uh so you can find me there and uh occasionally on twitter um so i'm still kind of old school in the sense that i like to meet with people shake their hands uh, and have conversations, but you can also find me uh, at Matt Soika on Twitter. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, all.